the first time I went out with my list for myself, I would like stop in my car and then I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to drive around a little more. And then I'd like get to the next one and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to drive around a little more. And I didn't do one door. And the next time I, a friend came with me and it just went so much better. And now I've gotten into my groove and because I think you don't know what you're getting into. Like, am I going to knock on the door of somebody who's going to be screaming at me? But I haven't. Like, I've knocked on a lot of doors and people have been so kind. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Today, we're continuing in our election series of 2022. We're jumping across the border to the east of South Dakota into western Minnesota. Carrie Dory, candidate for Minnesota Senate for District 12 was willing to come in and have a chat about why she should be chosen to represent Minnesota in District 12 in the Senate in St. Paul. Carrie for MNSenate.com is her website. Carrie, K-A-R-I-F-O-R-M-N Senate.com to find out more information about her platform. Uh, We had a good chat about how she thinks and processes and why she should be the best candidate to represent Minnesota in District 12. Thanks a lot for listening. Remember, if you want to help support this show, you can do it with your donations. Go to theinterviewpodcast.org, click on the donate button. You choose the value you got out of the show and send it back our way. Thanks a lot for hanging out. I hope you enjoy this chat. Let's get right into it. Terry Dory, you're from Ortonville. I am from Ortonville. Yep. I've lived there most of my life. So that is like the very western edge of our district. So I'm running for a district, Senate District 12. So Ortonville is like the farthest on the western side of that district. Now you grew up there, right? I did. Or or, like, are you born and raised Ortonville? Yep. So I was, uh, my first year of life, I lived in Kirkoven, which is in the district. Um, But then my family um, was from Ortonville, so moved um, to Ortonville. So all of my life, um, I, I grew up in Ortonville, went to school and graduated from Ortonville. Um, and then I left for college and went to Moorhead State and got my degree in special ed and then took my first teaching job in Big Lake, which is a little bit closer to the cities, like a very Where? large district. Is that so um, it'd be like, is it um, near the interstate? Yeah. Yep. Off of 94. Mm-hmm. So like uh, north of Monticello. Oh, yeah. OK. Yep. So that was my first teaching job. And then I taught there four years. And then my husband and I found out we were having twins. So that brought us back. Like we knew we wanted to raise our kids where we both, my husband's from Martinville mm-hmm. um, as well. So we knew we wanted to raise our kids where we both grew up. So what was it about Orton, the Ortonville area that made that the thing that you, that this is where we want to raise our kids? So Ortonville is just like my community. Like my roots are in Ortonville. My family's roots are in Ortonville. Like I love small town living. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love going to the big city. I love visiting. <laughs> it's nice to go it, and then leave. <laughs> and then it's really nice to come right. back where you can like get uh-huh. to the grocery store in one minute. And right. I like, uh, you know, raising my kids in a smaller school district where I knew, you know, you know, everybody in mm-hmm. your school. The school I taught at in Big Lake, I loved that school. But I mean, there was... I mean, I don't even know if you'd know everybody in your graduating class. Like, right. it was so big. So um, we knew that that's where we wanted to be, and that's where we wanted to raise our kids. And our kids are now, um, our twins are 16. Wow. And our youngest son is 14. So we've been there a while. That's crazy. We've been back, and it was a really good decision for us, and we're so happy to be there. Yeah. What were some of the 
the downsides of choosing small town? Um, I think sometimes just access to things. Mm-hmm. So when we look at like, you know, you need to get a pair of jeans for your kid. Like you can't get them. <laughs> you can't get them anywhere mm-hmm. around here. Right. Um, so that that's um, one thing. I think sometimes opportunity too. So like mm-hmm. we'll go to the cities to go to um, like a show. Like to go see a yes. Broadway show or to go to a concert. Mm-hmm. So um, those things obviously we have to travel for. I think that's um, harder for, for family. Like it's expensive. It's expensive to go down to the cities and get the tickets and then get a hotel and all of those things. So I think just access to things um, sometimes is harder in a small right. town. But I mean so much opportunity in a small town in other ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean we we live 12 miles away in another small town in mm-hmm. South Dakota. And it's it doesn't seem like it's anything for us to drive a couple hours. It doesn't. To to get things that, you know, in the big city you have around the corner. Mm-hmm. But then we think about that because we've got family that are over uh, in the Twin Cities area. That's where they all are from. And it's so weird because they, it's like they don't have the understanding that just because we drive more miles... We're not spending any more time in the car than they are. You're, you're <laughs> right about that, yeah. But mentally, it's a weird, it's a weird mental game because they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, oh, we can't, we can't. Ugh, it's so far to come out to see you guys. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come see us?" Yeah. Well, come on. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> so it, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. And I'd grown up on the West Coast when I was a kid. We lived out in the in the mountains, and you know it was probably, I think it was 15 miles into town from where we were. And same thing, you know, people, oh, we can't come see you. Why don't you guys just come have dinner at our house? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> just because you don't know how to drive in the mountains. We, mm-hmm. you know, clearly we do. <laughs> I would come visit you in the mountains. That well, sounds fine. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I'm not at all upset that we live here, mm-hmm. but I totally miss a terrain that actually changes height and roads that curve. Yes. It's, and it, here in South Dakota, they don't. They don't. No, we took the kids to Colorado. That was our goal before they graduate, awesome. like see the mountains and see the mm-hmm. ocean. So we've been able to do those two things, and I feel very blessed that we have. But yeah, yeah just like getting them out to the mountains of mm-hmm. Colorado is just, like it is really it's, awe-inspiring. It's so, it is, because it's, I mean, mm-hmm. living in the flyland is has its own beauty, but it is not the same as being at the base of massive mountains. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And it we lived really in incredible. Oregon. I lived in a valley between the ca- the coastal range and the Cascade range. So we were literally an hour from the ocean and an hour from 7,000 feet up in the air. Wow. Any kind of snow you wanted. I mean, mm-hmm. they would get 150 inches of snow every winter, whatever. It was it was nuts. So that, and then I now live in a land that, you know, so when we first moved here, someone said, yeah, we, we go to the eight-mile corner and then you'll, we're past there a little bit. So I'm driving, driving. Eight miles past driving. It was straight. Nothing mm-hmm. changed. Well, they didn't mean <laughs> a curve, which I thought that's what the corner meant. It was an intersection at the eight miles. So it's just, it, it's a new language I had to learn moving you out learn. here. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I don't think I would change anything at this point. I wouldn't either. Last night yeah. I drove home from Morris and like driving home and seeing the wetlands and the sun yeah. setting on the you know field of corn like that also is really incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes we forget that. Until we just pause a moment, mm-hmm. like, holy, we live in like a, like, it's so beautiful yeah. here. The yeah, for about, for about a month and a half. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then, then we go back to winter. The snow is beautiful, <laughs> right. too, in its own it way. Is. It certainly is. <laughs> um, all right, so why did you choose to 
uh, go insane and jump into the <laughs> the world of state politics. It is kind of insane, isn't it? And sometimes <laughs> I like have to pause like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? But I'm so glad I'm doing it. Um, it's certainly never anything I saw myself doing. Like mm-hmm. I never aspired to be a politician or it wasn't something on my bucket list to do. But I think just very organically, it it happened. So uh, moving back to Ortonville, um, once we moved there, I got involved with just building a park, like working with the city. Um, they had gotten uh, a grant with some money to build a park. So that was like kind of my first taste of like city politics. Is this real life Parks and Rec? It Who is. Who was your Leslie Nope? I think I was <laughs> Leslie Nope. Awesome. <laughs> um, so it was just like, a, it was like very challenging and you know how like a city project, doesn't, it doesn't go easy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's just like a lot of thing, a lot of pe- moving pieces and uh, the park, like all of the park got ordered and it sat in the city of a garage for like a very long time and like it couldn't get done. And just there were so many roadblocks, but such a great group of people working to get that done. So I think that was my first little taste of like how how things happen mm-hmm. like if you want to get something done in your community like you're gonna have to put in some sweat like you're yeah. gonna have to do some work on it and then um through my teaching job i i think as i so i teach early childhood special ed that that's what i've done now for 20 years um i've also um since being in ortonville i've worked at this as the school readiness coordinator so i think in that role you kind of see like the funding where are we getting our funding mm-hmm. from for early childhood programs like where aren't we getting, like, where aren't we getting it from? We need more funding for these things. So I think that was like a, that's been a taste of like, if if we want to fund our programs, like we need to be an advocate as well. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that has come from my, my job in teaching. And then I think just from being a woman and seeing who, who are our politicians, who are representing us in, in rural Minnesota, and it's mostly older men. So like just not seeing myself represented as a mom and as a teacher, like in that space, I think all of those things combined together have like led me to this opportunity of like, well, this voice can be heard and I can maybe represent like a new um, population of people that hasn't been represented in rural Minnesota um, very broadly. Do you think that, well, well, in your experience over the last several years, have you felt that you didn't have access to those politicians that were there, the older guys? Like, were, were they not open to even talk? Um, so, no, I've talked to them. So, I, th- I th- but I think um, our, our ideas are different. I think there's some politicians that um, very much fall in a party line. And I feel sometimes like, like I, I am a, a Democrat and I feel like sometimes, you know, Republicans are like, representing republicans i feel like some politicians are like representing the people that agree with them that, that that's the people Isn't they're that working what our with. system is kind of built as currently but i think it is but it shouldn't be like if i'm running yeah, but, uh, you're right there but isn't that how it is I think it is like that, but I think there's an opportunity there for change. Like if I'm going to represent Senate District 12, like I'm going to represent all the people in Senate District 12. And we may disagree on some things, but I think when we look at our communities and what state politicians can do, I think we can find a lot of common ground with that. And I think um, we can just really have an opportunity to work on like locally, what do we need for mm-hmm. communities? And I think sometimes like the national noise of politics really gets in the way and puts up a lot of barriers. And when we can like peel that away a little bit, like 
I think we can always find common ground. We just need politicians who are uh, open to communicating so, and to working together. Right, which is dangerous. O- only yeah. because, you know, that's <laughs> scary. Change is scary. Change is scary, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's really needed. And I think when you're running to be an elected official, like your job is to represent everybody. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a way? Because, you know, you you mentioned that the Republicans fall down the Republican line. And I'm not saying all of them. Most do. I mean, across the board, most mm-hmm. of them do. Like, it's rare to find a, a, mm-hmm. a politician with a, an R or a D by their name that actually is an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. That's rare. Um, and they may be independent thinkers in a, in a one-to-one conversation, but mm-hmm. once you get into the system, and, and that's one of the, my next question for you, is how do you go to St. Paul and not become just another number under the D of Minnesota and, and the D of the United States. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how, do, how are you able to bring a broader view? I think it comes down to your values. Like when you can just really like my value is to like really represent the community that I love. Like I love my community. Mm-hmm. I am passionate about what, what do we need for rural Minnesota to have the same access as uh, kids in the metro. Like, what do kids in the metro have access to in their schools? Our kids should have that that same access. Should, should it be the same? Should that be a one to one product? I think it should be similar. You know, like when like one example, like so, kids who are um, like in uh, like industrial arts and tech classes, like kid, every kid should have an opportunity to like be able to access um, opportunities to like practice. What do what do I want to mm-hmm. do in life? And if your school, your opportunity is like woodworking and welding, like those are the two things you're probably going to, you know, maybe pick right. if that's what you're interested that's in. All, yeah. But if you're in a school that has like a much broader program, like, mm-hmm. holy cows, now that kid just got a whole lot more access to like an opportunity for your future. Like we're looking at the future, like your lifelong, what you're going to do with your life. Like you should have an opportunity to explore that. How how do you do that in such a small community though? With with, with very limited mm-hmm. um, physical space, mm-hmm. limited resource, and and limited expertise, I think is part of it too. I think how it do you do that? Really looks at uh, like like co-oping our communities. Like what what do you have in your community that's in Millbank? Like what do your kids have access to? What do we have access to in Ortonville? What do we have access to in Clinton? And really just trying to work together mm-hmm. so kids can. You know, go to go to Millbank and and check out what they have. I think there's also a huge opportunity there, you know, online. Like oh, we yeah. have access to anything online, mm-hmm. so um, maybe not like a one to one, but I think all kids should be able to have like just some really broad opportunities mm-hmm. because you know what we're giving them in school, that's what they're going to take with them into their life, and we certainly want all of them to be successful so and be we, able to thrive. Yeah. So if we step back a little bit with thinking of the education world, what okay. is the purpose of education as a whole? I was going to say public education, but, but education as a whole, what's the mm-hmm. purpose of that? The purpose of education? Oh, that's a very broad question. It could go a lot of ways, but I think, you know, we're, we're looking at capturing kids, you know, from zero to 18, and we want to, you know, give them those opportunities so when they are an adult and they're out in the world, they can be successful. Like, mm-hmm. they can be their best self. And I think public education, any education, you know, your job is to be able to give kids the tools that they need 
to really carry that out throughout their life and like be a successful and adult. And that's a broad statement too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A little bit the, the idea of being a successful adult. What mm-hmm. would that look like? Uh, you know, being able to get along with other people. Like I think if we look at all like you know your areas of of development, like your social emotional skills, like you need to be able to get along with other mm-hmm. people. You need to be able to, you know, manage your money. You need to be able to get a job that's going to support yourself. Um, Ooh, I, I had one guy um, several years ago. Uh, I think he lived in, lived or lives in Sioux Falls. I uh, made the comment and I, it, it made, made me think for a bit. And I still, I'm not quite sure if I fully grasp the, like that being the reason. But one of his reasons was, or the main reason for education was to make your children employable. Hmm. Which seems like a really narrow goal. Now, not that that's a bad thing. I mean, you yeah, certainly, I mean, not everyone can be an entrepreneur, so mm-hmm. you got to have workers, but mm-hmm. should that be the goal? It or seems, is that the goal? Seems very transactional. Like, yeah, yeah. Which I think there's a lot a lot more to it than just being employable. It's like, you know, your, your self-worth. Like, you want to you know, be a person who's confident in yourself to mm-hmm. go out and like, you know, make the world a little bit better place. There's a guy I'm trying to find, remember his name. I always, his first time I always I screw up. Ken Robinson. You ever heard of him? I haven't. He's a PhD from, he, he passed away recently, uh, somewhere in England. Mm. Um, he did a few, a couple TED Talks on Western education. Phenomenal. Do it. It's worth the, all of them are worth it. Um, but what he, one of the things he said was, um, the Western education model is designed for one thing, and that it really is um, cookie cutter factory workers. Mm. And so it's it's kind of de- was designed to create duplicates of the same thing because we needed that at some point. We needed a good troop of of competent, willing. Um, the, I'm not going to say where this in my head, but uh, <laughs> drones. That's a better word. Um, and in doing that, what we did is we, we educated from the ground up, what do you say, from the feet to the head, left to right, brain-wise. So we basically educated the art out of the population. Mm-hmm. You know, way back in the day, dance was a huge part of education. Multiple languages, I mean, literature, performance art, that was all a big portion of education. And they put that as a equal to learning math and reading because mm-hmm. those are clearly necessary. Um, and he said, we, we've educated that out of people because it's, it's easy to say, okay, you learn one plus one, good, success, check. It's hard to, it's hard to judge success when it comes to art mm-hmm. because it's hard to get art wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if the goal is make a perfect circle... I can do that. That's not art, though. Mm-hmm. That's just following directions. And so I, I find it interesting that it seems like, and maybe this is, I, I'd like your thoughts on the the idea of outcome-based education. Like, is that the goal? Should, should, should education be based on whether a kid can pass a test or not? Is that the best judge of, of success in education? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I think when we look at, like, did, did education change to become like now we're just focusing on math and reading or is it 
education has lost funding over the years, and the first things that have gotten cut are art, music. But there is tons of research that shows that those have huge value. So much. I agree with you 100% but, so, so that we how need did, those. But how did we get to the point where the people with the purse strings said, that's the stuff we don't want to fund, mm-hmm. but we're, but we're going to fund these other things that have value, no doubt. But there is so much research that shows that art, just by itself, has long, lifelong learning value. It, that, like, that's 100% correct. And like, that's what's getting cut out of schools. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we need to really look at. How do we bring, how do we bring that back in? Like, how do we make well-rounded kids? And that's yeah. exactly how. They have access to art. They yeah. have access to music. And those things are equally as important as sporting programs like i think we Equal need to find a better balance a balance i don't know if i would say i don't i don't know if i have an answer to equal or more but i think like let's find a balance mm-hmm. in all of these things and all of these opportunities for our kids because then really once they do turn into adult like holy cows this kid yeah. has a really well-rounded person with access to all these things if a kid is growing up without any access to art and music like that's unfortunate because that's a, a really big part of growth and mm-hmm. learning is mm-hmm. having access to yeah. those things in your life. Is funding in education in the state of Minnesota tied to successful outcomes? Um, I think as as funding has dwindled, I think it, it makes it harder for successful outcomes because we are losing those really important things. Mm-hmm. In a lot of schools yeah. and like our smaller towns, like schools are, are struggling to stay open. Schools are closing and kids are having to, you know, be bused to schools, you know, nearby. So they're spending a lot of more time on buses. So I think a lot of our outcomes are tied to like, when, when are we going to put a priority on funding our schools so we can give kids everything they deserve? Should, should we have a grade-based system? A grade, as in like, yeah. you know, report a, cards B, and... C. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Like, as a parent... Yeah, the system does, don't they? The system totally does. And, and you know, standardized testing. Like, mm-hmm. these are all the things that we're basing so many things on. And I think research is showing us, like, that that's not helpful. And those tests, like, aren't even great tests as a judge of outcome. <laughs> right. Some kids aren't good test takers. Like, we can't be judging a kid on this test they took in one day when they were just like a ball of anxiety and, you know, stressed yeah. out about it. And they're well, not and some good... kids are dynamite test takers, but they can't are. remember nothing after the test. Exactly. So I do think yeah. there, I mean, there's a whole lot of reform that I think could happen, mm-hmm. but we need the right people in place to do that. So is this, is our education system currently broken? I think it is. I think it is kind of broken, and I think uh, COVID really highlighted a lot of inequities. And Ooh, what do you mean? Explain that. Like just having, um, you know, distance learning and some of those. Like teachers are getting burnt out. Admins getting burnt out. Like we can't find enough teachers in a lot of our schools, and it's not just in our in our district problem. It's like mm-hmm. across the state. Like there there are openings for everything. So I think. Um, I think it's been difficult. Like, I think, I mean, me, for me personally, as a teacher, like the last few years have been really difficult. Yeah. Like trying to figure out how to do a home visit with a family when now we're distance learning. Like that's really hard to provide services to a two-year-old over Zoom. Like (laughs) that's difficult. Yeah. They can't focus in person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I do think that 
there I think there's a whole lot of things that can be can be changed and I think there's a whole lot of really great people trying to do that work which I'm grateful for and I I'm hopeful that we can um elect people in our state that are really going to put a lot of focus on on our kids and our, our families and on our schools and on our you know making our communities better because um I think we all deserve that I think I think every kid deserves that should the federal government be involved in education as a standard uh, maker? Um, I think they're, you know, when funding comes from the federal government, I think obviously. Yeah, but should it? It's a question. They're involved. Um, I think, so there's always like the checks and balances of everything. Like we give you the money, you need to show us this. But I, I think that, again, it's like kind of a broken system mm-hmm. of how we're monitoring that. Yeah, because our metric for success is mm-hmm. very simplistic at yeah. some point isn't it yeah so do i have an answer on how to fix that no i don't burn the place to the ground metaphorically <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> i didn't say you did right no. <laughs> um so yeah i think i think there's a whole lot of reform that that needs to happen do you think it would be better to pull it back into the state control and actually say all right because states are so different across the board and even within the state you mm-hmm. know you, you talked about you know inner city minneapolis st paul their schools have totally different um they have different options for the kids but they have different kinds of people as well mm-hmm. it's a different lifestyle mm-hmm. compared to ortonville or yeah. Millbank. yep um so to say that both these schools have to meet the same standard mm-hmm. in order to be successful mm-hmm. seems a little bit um simplistic of a view mm-hmm. i agree so with you. And, and then to take that bigger and say okay then the united states mm-hmm. this over our you know this group in dc gets to decide mm-hmm. what all these things have to do and we have this standardized product mm-hmm. is that problematic would it be better to say nope we're taking it at the state level and now at the state level the money that the feds were going to dish out they don't mm-hmm. get anymore it all comes back to the states based on however it gets taxed or whatever yeah i think that's an interesting idea i don't know if i can say like yes that's what should happen or no because like do i understand all the funding formulas for public education i do not so so i don't know if i have an answer Mm -hmm. to that question but i do think like we really need to to look at how it's going and 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 fix some of the problems i was talking to a lady the other day who taught years ago um she's been retired for quite a while um and i said what if we went away from the nine month school year what if we went to 12 months Mm -hmm. and maybe it was two or three days a week Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a job. It was for for the kids. It wasn't like a a scheduled job for Mm -hmm. the kids. It was uh, something else. Mm -hmm. And they were, it was for a shorter time a day. Um, It was based on interest. Like sure. You learn how to read and write as you know, as the earlier years, because you need those basic skills. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you get these paths you can go down. And then from there, there really isn't an end game because mm-hmm. then you kind of can walk into either work or more education and then into work or whatever. But to do that, it would require an absolute rethink of the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if we would see better and diff- better outcomes. And don't you think kids would be more engaged in it when they're doing like they're the following they their, love, own, absolutely. their own path rather than like, here's the yeah. path you need to take like these seven credits. And like, mm-hmm. if they could follow their own path and their own interests, like, oh my gosh, can yeah. you imagine oh, it would be what nuts. that would look yeah. like? Mm-hmm. Like, I think just for myself in high school, like, oh my gosh, that would have been incredible. Like, that's an incredible idea. 
how do you get there? I don't know. And, but... and I honestly think we're so far down the road that it would be impossible. Um, unless we could figure out how to remove the very top bureaucracy mm -hmm. and then start bringing it back local. So yeah. now all of a sudden it's no longer a blanket. We have mm -hmm. these little blankets mm -hmm. and freedom within them mm -hmm. to be flexible. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, as a parent, I've got, I've got four kids. That is much more of a of an appealing concept mm -hmm. um, because it's not tied to a time frame. It's not tied to um, outcomes. Yeah. What did, what did, I mean, I think that's what we need are like dreamers that are in these positions of making decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So we can like think outside of the box a little bit and like really come up with, you know, not just like, this is what we're, this is what works. So this is what we're going to do. And this is how we've, how we've done it. But like, let's do what's best for kids. Like, let's do right by them. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I guess that gets back to the question, what's the purpose of education? And if it is to prepare children for life, the next question for me is, are we, are we successful mm -hmm. in meeting that, that goal? And mm -hmm. I think we are for a percentage of the kids, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But how many kids struggle through school? Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a photographer by trade, so I take high school senior pictures all the time. And I always ask the kids, what are you going to do? And most of them have a general idea what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And I see them, then they go to college, and then by the first or second year, usually, they have changed at least once, if not twice. Mm -hmm. Some of them go for a year and just burn the year. Yep. It's like, why? Mm -hmm. why? Why waste that? It would have been better had they just stayed at home for another six months mm -hmm. and lived a minute. Mm -hmm. Are we pushing kids to university too much? I think that we have in the past, like when I graduated from high school, like that, that's what you were expected to do. And I think like if you went to a tech school, that was like a little bit looked down upon. Right. Yep. And I feel like we're in a better space now with that. We're like, holy cows, go to a tech yeah. school. Like you're going to get the education you need. If that's what you want, you're going to save a ton of money and you're probably going to make a whole lot more money when you come out of it than what mm -hmm. people are coming out yeah. of it, you know, going to university. So I'm really glad that that has shifted a little bit. Um, so I think we need even more focus on that. Like, you know, if tech school is your thing, like let's, let's find you a program that's best for you. I have two boys who are juniors. So like this is a conversation <laughs> right. now in yeah. our house and they're just like, they don't have a clue what yeah. they want to do. And I am trying my best as a mom to just be like, it's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Like you're going to figure mm -hmm. it out. And like, we don't need to go on college visits right now. Like you can. What you're supposed yeah. to. The you clock are is ticking. To. But um, you can just like right. take a minute and figure yeah. it out. I did tell him like you need to move out when you graduate and like live on your own. Like that's a like I think that's a good idea. Like even leaving Ortonville, I think is a good idea. Like you need to spread your wings a little bit. I see think, the world a little. See bit. the world a little bit. Um, I I would really encourage that. But like as far as pushing them to like. You need to figure out what college you're going to. Right, you need to yeah. figure out what you're going to do. Right what now, job do you you're want? You're 17. Yeah. You better know. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's how, that's how it yeah. is still for a lot of kids. Like personally as a mom, I'm just trying to be like super chill with it. Like <laughs> we've got time. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. So I think we do need to give kids space to figure mm -hmm. that out because like 
think back to like when I was 16. Oh my gosh. Like this isn't a time when you, yeah. your brain is even fully developed to be able to process like what, <laughs> right. what is that going to look be? like? Right. <laughs> what do I want to do for yeah. the rest of my life for like 45 years? That, like mm-hmm. that's a really large question. Yeah. And I hope we can give kids a little bit of space with that. I, I think so. I've got a friend in Alexandria and he started a, uh, he works for a, uh, it used to be a Lutheran camp. It's non-denominational now, but it's up in Alexandria. Um, and him and a couple other guys decided to start a, they're calling it a gap year program. Mm-hmm. And basically it is a year that you either take off before college or in the middle of college mm-hmm. to serve something bigger than you. And I think that is so cool. That is cool. Because it it's not saying the path you were on was wrong or bad. It's let's pause for a second, mm-hmm. figure out who you are, get get grounded in your, you know, whatever that is, and then go back and attack that. And I, I mean, I spent almost, I was about six months in Africa. And that was one of the things that I got out of it before I got married was I got to go serve something bigger than me and see the world a little bit mm-hmm. in, in a very safe environment. It wasn't like I was just willy nilly running about the world mm-hmm. you know, out of control. It was you know, I was working for a, uh, with a mission in Uganda. Um, that's where I went, met my wife. So we've got that that connection there. But now we want to send our kids to do something like that, mm-hmm. just to go explore, but do it in a way that they're not doing it selfishly. Mm-hmm. They're doing it to go serve someone else yeah. and to serve something bigger than them, because it's going to give them such a broader view of the world um, that then they can come back and be grounded. Mm-hmm. You know, they won't be like a, a you know a a feather in the wind, yeah. you know, to get pushed about by society. Yeah, I think anytime you can really hone in on that service piece of it, like you can learn so much about yourself and you learn so much mm-hmm. about the you know broader picture of our world. So yeah. I think anytime we can encourage kids to do service, even if they're not able to, you know, travel to a different country, but like there's a lot of yeah. service you oh, can man. do right in your own community. Absolutely, yeah. And the more we can do that, um, yeah, we're certainly mm-hmm. doing right by kids there. Yeah, it's... It's cool. So, I mean, I, I, I'm i not convinced that the education system is, is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I don't um, think anybody is. I don't think there's many people that would disagree with you on that and say, like, it's perfect. Everything's great. Right? Maybe they would. I don't know. Maybe more than we want to, yeah. <laughs> than we like. <laughs> um, what did, you know, you talked about COVID kind of showing some of the, the mess of the system. Mm-hmm. What, what did it really reveal? Like, in, from your side, what, what did that you know, the, the restrictions, the, the closing of schools, what did that do to public education? Um, I think it showed, hmm, that's a really good question. What did it do to public education? I think if we look at what it did, you know, broadly, it really showed gaps in our community. Like parents still needed to go to work and there's no childcare for their kids. So it I think schools did kind of shine in that as well, like throwing together in eight days, we're going to throw together how we're going to do this virtually. We're going to throw together how we can, you know, help families out by, you know, providing meals and by providing childcare for them. So I think everybody did really step up in a really terrible situation to Mm -hmm. try to make things better. But I think um, it did show like when we're looking at what we're teaching kids in the classroom when we have them for seven hours a day versus like, okay, now we're doing this virtually. 
like what are our priorities? Like what are our priorities? My priorities certainly changed during COVID to like what does your family need right now so you can just get by day to day. Was that do you think that will make it make for a better product going forward though? Seeing that that actually is a, a reality? I sure hope so. I sure hope that moving forward we can take some of what we learned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we are. And I think it did show like the the partnership of of families and schools like how important that is. Like if we're going to do this virtually, like it really is a team effort. Mm-hmm. And I think it showed us like some families don't have time. They don't have time to do this independently. Like they're working, they have kids, like they're, some families are dealing with their own issues, like mental health issues or medical issues. So I think it really showed like if we're going to have this partnership together and your family is also struggling with a lot of other things, sometimes we need to just like pause a moment and we need to like help you focus on where you're at. So I think it did really show us like we need to meet people. We need to meet Mm -hmm. people where they're at. Was it? Was it surprising to you, and maybe not because you're in the middle of it, but um, from from this side of it, it kind of seemed light bulb moment that the the system that we currently have is daycare at least equally to education for a lot of people. Yeah, is is that problematic? Um, well, I don't know if it's prob. I mean. It it is problematic for families. I think the like childcare as a whole is just like we are in a crisis mode. What? Why is that? Do you think? Because like we don't have enough childcare providers. You know, they're saying you know nobody wants to work. We can't find workers for these things. Well, if people can't find a safe place for their kids, like they can't get take a job. Mm-hmm. If people are getting paid ten dollars an hour and they're putting their three kids in childcare to do that, they're not making any money. So I think it really comes down to like let's let's look at this more broadly at why we have a child care crisis, why we have a worker shortage. Like, I think that's a question that really needs to be, and I think communities are starting to look at that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's certainly a a really huge piece that is you know in the puzzle that's like dominoes. Like if you can't figure out how to find childcare, like that's a domino effect to a whole lot of things that, um, you know, the, the, um, looking at our workforce, looking at poverty levels, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It, is it, would it be valuable to try to figure out the why, the foundational reason that, that, that it's such a, a crisis, you know, the, a lot of it, you know, in, in the, the two parent household, a lot of those I have two jobs. There's mm-hmm. a two-income family, which they have to like well, to pay well, your mortgage and, but, and put but food that's, on the yeah, table. So is that a? Are we digging deep enough to realize that it's not just the surface issue? It goes back to this idea that everything's expensive. It costs a mm-hmm. lot of money to live. If you want to own a home, if you want to own more than one car, I mean, it's it's expensive and it's so expensive. So I, I guess what what is the role? What's the proper role of a government in, in that or a community in that piece of life? Mm-hmm. And I think it's trying to get you know really good paying jobs in our communities. I think that's important um, to look at that. I think it's looking at 
like families, how much they're spending on health care. Like, holy cows, families are spending so much money on health care that they're not even still able to access because, yeah. you know, their premiums or their um, out-of-pocket is so high that they can't even still go to the doctor. Like, families are having to choose, is my child sick enough? Like, should I take them to the doctor? I've been in this, you know, these shoes many times, and, like, that's not okay. That's not okay that you're having to, like, you're not quite sick enough, so we're not going to take you in. Like, that's a broken system right there, right? Like, it's a human right that everybody should be able to access medical care that they need. Uh, yes. I'm I, probably I, I, spiraling into, like, a no, whole other well, topic This is there. good. This is the whole <laughs> point. Um, I, I, I want to dig down a little bit on there because access, it's a human right to have access to health care. Um, but is it a human right to have access? It, it, is it the same thing? to have that healthcare paid for by somebody. Are they the same thing or is that different? I think it's, it needs to be access to affordable healthcare. Like is that is that relative? I think that's relative. Like I think like affordable to, to me is probably different than affordable to you and affordable to Joe Blow on the street. In theory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think we have programs set up like when my kids were little, we qualified for medical assistance. That was a lifesaver for us. Like, I don't know what we would have done if if that wasn't available to us. And there's so many families that, you know, benefit from that. Mm -hmm. But then once we just like our income went just over the edge and we no longer qualified for that and had to pay for it, like we still couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. We still couldn't afford like, OK, we have health insurance now, but we can't now afford to take our kids to the doctor. Like there's a gap there like that needs to be looked at i think really broadly i uh i talked to a insurance investigator a few years ago and we were talking about you know the the, the brokenness of the costs of healthcare. Mm -hmm. um and he said the majority of people this was a couple of years ago so i don't know exactly i may not be maybe a little different now but he said the majority of people that go bankrupt from health expenses had health insurance isn't that sad yeah it, it but it's because you go you go bankrupt because it's catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah, I have a health coverage that will cover the, the million dollar bill because I, you know, lost a, half my body or got mm -hmm. cancer or something crazy. And so you have years worth of treatment. Um, but my out of pocket, the the percentage that I am responsible for, which, you know, as a as a responsible person, that makes sense to have some responsibility. But that's still more than I have sitting in the bank. And so then, you know, so yeah, maybe it's $100,000. It's my portion. That's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, oh, you drew the bad luck card. Uh, to that yeah. happens to yeah. you now. Like that, that's really not okay. But like we shouldn't be GoFundMe, you know, to support our neighbor <laughs> right. down the street who got cancer. Like there should be a system in place for that, you know, for that person to be able to access and be able to afford the health care they need. Should that be a government mandated system of health? Or should it be more of more of a not go fund me in the crowdsourcing system mm -hmm. where you go asking that, but but more of a community taking care of itself? Um, I don't think that should be on the backs of the community to like how you know to pay for that. I do think there sh should be some you know government. I do think the government needs to be involved in that to have you know to help help provide health care to people. But who who pays for that bill though? Well, we're all paying taxes. Like, right. So, so isn't the it things... then on the backs of us no matter what? We just have no say over it? 
But I do think like then that gets into the whole like, how are we being taxed? Like the, you know, the back, the, the middle class are paying way higher taxes than, you know, the billionaires. And like, does that make sense? Should we be doing that? I don't think so. Like once we, if we could ever get a, like a fair, fair game for, te- you know, how we're all taxed, like would that improve our systems? I sure think it would by quite a bit. More than half of the population pays zero money in taxes, mm-hmm. though. So who 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 is who's actually footing the tax bill? Mm-hmm. If over half of the population doesn't pay a dime in taxes, well, let's look at that, right? Yeah. So I mean, it it feels it feels unfair. Yeah, I think it's very unfair the whole, how people are being taxed. I think that is very unfair. So well, so we have half half of the population pays some. A I think it's two. Five or two or five percent pay the bulk of the tax bill uh-huh. currently. So, how much more can we tax those people? Uh-huh. But if we're taxing, like if we look at like in Minnesota, like who who is paying more taxes, middle class or like pe- billionaires? That's a that's a problem. Like if people, very wealthy people, would be able to pay their fair share of taxes, the same share we're paying. I think we could even this out a little bit for is, everybody. Is that a relative term though? To say, and I've always wondered this number for uh-huh. this, you know, when, you know, a fair, what, what is a fair share? What is a fair share? I mean, I, I don't, I can't get into tax code with you right now. No, no, but no. Like say pr- I pay. Principally, let's like, just what's say, a fair share? Let's just say, uh, hypothetically, I pay 40% of, of my wages go mm-hmm. to tax. That's not accurate, but let's just say it is. <laughs> You're awesome. And say I make, you know, $100,000 a year. That's our mm-hmm. that's our income. Somebody, a family who's making a billion dollars a year, should they pay 40% of their wages as well? I think they should. Like, why why should I pay more than them? But should someone making $10,000 a year pay 40% of theirs as well? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's spread it out. Because who suffers? Mm-hmm. If we do, because I mean, that was my thought. Why just straight across the board, mm-hmm. same rate, you know, the reality is the poor suffer. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we just, I don't, I don't think it's as easy as just saying across the board or you should pay mm-hmm. this percent. Like, obviously this is like well above my pay grade to be able to explain taxes. But I do think we need to look at it more broadly as to like, exactly like you said, who's suffering? Like who needs help? Does everything need to be equal or does it need to be equitable and i think we need it to be equitable as in like you get what you need so instead of it being that's relative though instead of it being like equal everybody's getting you know boom 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 like let's give people what they need to to be able to survive right who sets that this is fascinating Mm -hmm. who sets what what they need to survive who sets that standard i don't know who sets that standard but like if we're having a you know a a family living on ten thousand dollars a year, like wow, that that was to, a dumb number. I don't think anyone does that, but, but there are few. I mean, yeah. there are people that are like living in severe poverty right in our own communities, mm-hmm. and like I think that it's fair for them to be able to get the help they need, because like nobody should have to live like that, right? I, it, like it, you should be able to feed your kids without being so stressed about it. Like, and there are programs in place. That's why we have. The WIC program. That's why mm-hmm. we have medical assistance. Like, thank goodness for these programs. But I do think it needs to be looked at in a little bit broader scope. Because even if you're making fifty thousand dollars, like 
it can still be really hard to get food on the table. So like equitably, yeah. let's look at what do you need and how can we help that? How can we help you? I, I think that that just like makes sense in humankind to like help people with where they're at. Right. I, I 100% you're right. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the challenge in my understanding, like to, to grasp it fully is whose responsibility is it? Mm-hmm. Is it a, is it a, a bureaucratic, a, like political responsibility, a government's responsibility, or is it our responsibility as neighbors? I think it's both. I think it's both. Like those are your neighbors and they need help. Like, yeah, we're going to pitch in and help you. Like, but that's a great part about our communities, right? Like that's where we, mm-hmm. why we love where we live. Like somebody needs something, we're pitching it to yeah. help. But also we need state level and federal level programming. And why? why? Well, somebody's got to figure it out, right? Like, right, but, but why can't it be so tailored that our communities have it figured out? Wouldn't that be a dream world? Of course How it do would. we get there though? Well, we I have, don't know we, how we, we do that. I think to get there, we have to tell the government to get out of here, to stop. And stop taking the money and give it back to the communities, and the communities can then figure it out. It's an interesting concept. I don't know how you get there. I mean, I I do think we. Oh, need I don't some... either, because we have this in, this entire like career goal of government. Mm-hmm. And I think that's problematic at some mm. level. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there is a role for government, and I think it can it can do really right by our our people and our communities and by the taxpayers, but only if we're involved, though. Mm-hmm. Like if you and I were there, we'd make the right choices. Yeah, and that's exactly. But not everyone is. Not everybody's making the right choices. Right. So that. I but mean, they think they are. They do. Think like they I, are. I've in the last three months, I've interviewed um, several South Dakota politicians from. You know, party doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's just you're running. Why do you need to run? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found in all of them is every one of them wants better for South Dakota, mm-hmm. and thinks they're the one to do it. Yep. So. When you have vastly different viewpoints, but the goal is the same, mm-hmm. how do you ever work together? Isn't this where we have to drill down and like work to find common ground? And we need to have people in those elected positions who are willing to do that. People who aren't like mm-hmm. so arrogant to think like, I know all the answers to this and we're going to do it my way. But elect people who say, yeah, I have a lot to learn. And this is me. I have so much to learn, but I'm willing to do it. And I'm going to stand, you know, and do right by my communities. And I'm going to work with other people to find that common ground. So I think it comes into a little bit like who are we electing and like really what are their values? Are their values like their own personal agenda or are their values like I love this community and Mm -hmm. I want to do my best for it to really represent the, you know, the people that live here. Can, can you have the best interests of your community at heart and and have vastly different views on government? I think so. I mean, I think there's just vastly different views in our, in our country, and that that's a good thing. It's a good thing mm-hmm. that we all have different views, but I do think we need to be able to work together on that or we're going to get nowhere, and yeah. I think that's what situation we see played out over and over, and I think that's why people are getting so tired of politics. Like, People are so tired of politics, myself included. Like, it's just <laughs> ugly and it's messy right. and it's mean and it's divisive. So, like, I think that's also what drove me to to do this. Like, I want to be a person that can represent our community and not be those things. Mm-hmm. Like, to be here for the right reasons. So, 
I don't know. Maybe that's like too optimistic of me, but I don't think it is. Like, I think these are the people we need to be electing who just like really yeah. feel like there is an opportunity here to to do this better than mm-hmm. than we're doing it currently. Um, thinking of Minnesota specifically, um, what were your thoughts? And this was a couple months ago. They've recently changed the branding a bit. Um, Governor Walls, he had a big stand up press conference where he was announcing Walls checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was giving back a surplus of taxpayer money to taxpayers uh-huh. um, under the guise of Tim Walls is signing a check to you. Uh-huh. Um, that's a one-time product. That's uh-huh. a one-time little bonus. Yep. Is that the best way to return taxes to the people that are paying them? rather than a more of a long-term tax reduction scenario. I guess I don't really have, I don't have an opinion on that, you know, professionally. I think it can go both ways. Um, You know, those checks can really help some families. Like, oh my gosh, get a check for $1,000. I just paid off, you know, that bill for my car. I just paid off that medical thing. Like, that's helpful. But for families that, like, have have that money in the bank like that's probably not the most helpful and and really what they need at that time so investing it back into tax cuts or into programming um that could be more of a long-term solution so i think i think that there's two different viewpoints on that and i i can't say either way i guess term limits should there be term limits i think Are, are, are there at the state level in minnesota um, there are not term limits. I think sometimes we, if we look at it, like elections are kind of like term limits, like, you know, your your term is done uh, and if people keep reelecting you. But I, I do think it needs to be looked at because people that have been there for 40 years, even like the my the person I'm running against has been there for 26 years. Like that's a really long time. How long are the each is each term? Uh, for the Senate, it's four, four. years. And I, I mean, he served in the House as well, but I, I do think like, are you still connected to what's happening in your community if like this is all you know now is is serving in this capacity so i do think that it needs to be looked at as to how long people are are doing these jobs how are you able how are you going to win how am i going to win i think i'm going to win by just like being my authentic self i don't know any other way to do it like this is me this is you know this is what i know this is what i want to do how much money do you need to win it's so much money. Okay, so going back to your thought that the, the idea that elections are term limits—that's mm-hmm. not true, in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. it sounds good; it's a great talking point mm-hmm. that I hear from. I mean, I've interviewed mm-hmm. our senators, uh, Mike Rounds, I had him in. I asked the same question: mm-hmm. term limits. Well, every election is a term mm-hmm. limit. Not true, because yeah. you, as the incumbent, have access so much money. to a lot of cash. So much money. John Thune has $15 million in the bank. $15 million. Like, that's mm-hmm. wild. And that really gives that new person trying to come in not yeah. Brian hardly Banks any chance. Is, trying to, is the Democrat running against him. I interviewed him, and he's like, I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. John's got millions of dollars, and yep. I've got nothing, so i got to go beg and plead for money. Same mm-hmm. thing with the governor race. Yeah. But but it's And it's not party-specific. It's incumbent-specific. It is. So when, when I look at, at that as a term limit, I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been reelected for... Must have been there twenty eight years. I don't know. It's a long Forever. time. Mitch um, every two like, years. So long. Yeah. Um, nobody can run against her and win. 
because mm-hmm. she's got a machine that has cash. Yep. So there. So that that's not. I don't think that's a realistic term limit, mm-hmm. unless you are like you and I, who are nobodies. Yep. In in the world, sure, you bet. You know. Yep. Next time, chance of us winning is fifty fifty, mm-hmm. as it should be. Yep. So. I guess I just don't see the value in having unlimited access to government like that. Yeah. No, I agree with you that there needs to be some sort of a limit. I don't know what that should be, but I mean, serving for that long is, I just don't think you can stay connected at the level you need to be connected to your Mm -hmm. community when you spend your whole time out of the community serving. Yeah. Like, I don't think that that you're doing your best there. Mm Mm-hmm. But in it, it's so unfortunate to me, like how much winning is dependent on how much money you raise. Like, it's, so, it's the dumbest. It's all they say. Oh, he's got this much cash, that much cash. It's terrible. I agree. It is. And like it, our district is so huge. And to be able to reach everybody, like it takes being able to do a mailing, like send out mm-hmm. a mailing to everybody. That is $7,000 for me to do one mailing. Like that's how much money I need to have planned for one. Wow. Like that's a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we've raised uh, like, I don't know, $53,000 so far or something like that, which is a That's good awesome. chunk of money. Wow. Um, the, we signed the public subsidy agreement, um, which so I think my cap to raise is like 120000 or something. And do they match? Or, or they just give you a certain amount? Um, so and you're I, only allowed to raise a certain amount? So I'm amount. only ar- allows, okay. allowed to raise that amount, which, I mean, that's that's so much money. I but hope not, to get though, there. Right? No, not in like <laughs> right. the grand scheme of things. But I mean, if I could raise that money, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's so much money. But to be able to run a race and win, you mm-hmm. do need money. Like you can't come in with $20,000 and and expect to win. Like I don't think there's any way to do that. Mm-hmm. You need money to reach yeah. like a very vast district. Um, so yeah, it does come down to money. So we are working hard on fundraising, but then it like takes away from like what I really want <laughs> right. to do is just like being right. out with voters, like yeah. voter contact, knocking doors. Like those are the things that mm-hmm. really are meaningful, I think, in an election to be able to like meet the people in the communities that I want to represent. But unfortunately, you know, time has also been fundraising because right. there's no way to win without money. So how many counties have or uh, cities have you been in, towns have you been in so far on this campaign? Um, oh, I don't, I don't even know a number of that. So it's six counties. So our district is, is that um, big? yeah, it's Big Stone, um, Stevens, Swift, Pope, and then a part of Douglas and a part of Stearns. Like it's huge. It's a really large district. So I'm just, how far north does it go? Um, so above Alexandria. Really? Mm-hmm. So is Alexandria in your district? Yep. Okay. And then Sox Center. And then, you okay. know, it still goes wow. even farther east of Sox Center. How far so, south? Um, at like Appleton, Swift County, Appleton, hmm. Benson, Kirkoven okay. area. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very big. So we're, you know, doing the parades, which has been really fun. Like that's a great <laughs> way to meet people right. is to like yeah. go to the parade, go, you know, going to all the county fairs. And I'm just trying to get into communities doing a lot of door knocking. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's my favorite. It's nerve wracking really? at first. That's the worst thing for me. Oh <laughs> my gosh. At first, the first time I right. went out, I've done this for other candidates and it was like an easy thing for me to go out for Sell other candidates. Yeah. No problem. Yep. But the first time I went out with my list for myself, <laughs> I would like stop in my car and then I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to drive around a little more. And then I'd like get to the next one and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to drive around a little more. And I didn't do one door. Mm-hmm. And the next time I, a friend came with me and it just went so much better. And now I've gotten into my groove and... Because I think you don't know what you're getting into. Like, am I going to knock on the door of somebody who's going to be screaming at me? Mm-hmm. 
but I haven't. Like I've knocked on a lot of doors and people have been so kind. Even people that are just like, oh, thank you. Um, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in talking. That's fine. Yeah. But um, I've, you know, knocked on doors of people like, well, I'm a Republican. I'm like, well, that's okay. Like, I think we still have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. And then once we have a conversation, we do. Like, we do still mm-hmm. have a lot in common. So I have found, like, just this groove with door knocking to be able to, you know, meet and actually, like, really have a conversation with people. It's been really enjoyable. So a very unexpected thing that has happened in this campaign is that I am actually really enjoying door knocking. And I thought, like, wild. Yeah. this is going to be <laughs> the worst daunting. <laughs> yeah. And it is daunting yeah. to think of, like how many people are in our in our mm-hmm. district and like it, that's impossible to knock every door mm-hmm. like that wouldn't be possible so it's daunting to me just the number of doors that I need to knock while also being a mom and while also being you know working Holy it's cow. so much yeah. but you know I just have to think of it like one door at a time I just need to think one door at a time and do do as many mm-hmm. as I can but yeah it really has been great and then just getting in communities and having like the people that live there tell me about their communities like what's going on in your community what's going well what isn't going well like then you really hear like Mm -hmm. on the ground level not you know national politics Mm -hmm. of like you know whatever they're pissed off about but like right here Mm -hmm. in Appleton like let's talk about it so in in those conversations what are the things that have kind of bubbled up to the top as the the issues that it, it, are there some that kind of have clumped into, like, this is an issue? Child care has come up board. a lot. Really? Like, the lack of child care in our communities, that's come up. Um, some people have brought up, like, uh, term limits. Like, this has been something people will talk about. Um, so they've brought that up. Um, just, like, very local issues, like this bridge or this, you mm-hmm. know, water system or aging pipes, like infrastructure, like yep. those kind of issues in communities. Um, people talk about so yeah it's been really interesting to just hear hear what's going on with people I I wouldn't say like there's been one issue that's come up over and over and over and over but um just like a lot of very um, local things that people want to talk about so I'd love to hear about them that's cool Mm -hmm. um what did Tim Walls get wrong about COVID And the and, and, and the government, like the Minnesota. You know, government. I have to say, like, that was such an such a situation that came up like who that's never happened before. Like this has not happened before, so there was no past precedence of what we should do. So they they did what they thought was right. And like I'm not gonna critique that because Really? Even in hindsight? Like shutting down schools. Yep. Christy Nome did that. Tim Walls did that. Christy Nome did that before Tim Walls did that. Like, I think that's what we needed to do now that we know, like, COVID wasn't here at that time. We know that now. Like, that's not when we had a a COVID problem that we needed to shut down schools. But, like, we didn't know that. Like, people just wanted to keep kids safe. And and I'm not going to critique that. Was there, at any time, from your perspective, did it seem strange that the American public willingly stayed home the whole thing was strange like what about that time wasn't strange like it was just the the bizarre world we Mm -hmm. all lived in wasn't it like it was so looking back at that like oh my gosh it was (laughs) just (laughs) 
Right? Like someday, you know, we'll be telling our grandkids, like, you'll never believe 2020. Like, this was just a <laughs> right. bizarre time. Yeah. And like, here's these things that we didn't know and we did know. So I think looking back at it, I mean, it was just all bizarre. I don't I don't know how you like classify that as anything else. It's just like a very strange time of a lot of unknowns. And, you know, everybody just trying to do their best. The The, the American experiment. It's kind of based on the idea that there is freedom, mm-hmm. like independent, in, you know, individual freedom. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of the the piece that I'm intrigued with in this whole thing. And I mean, globally, it was insane as well. The, the fact that the the globe was able to just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but in America, America is a different beast. Mm-hmm. Watching the American citizen except being told that what they did for a living to provide for their family wasn't, if it didn't fall in a couple categories, wasn't valuable enough Mm -hmm. to continue to do by a government. Mm -hmm. It's unprecedented. It was. And it seems insulting. I mean, as a business owner who Mm -hmm. my children rely on me being able to work and feed them, Mm -hmm. I don't care what a governor in Pierre, South Dakota has to say about what I do, mm-hmm. whether it's valid or not. Yeah. To my children, it's valid. It's so valid. I'm grateful that we never had business shutdowns in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Across the board. That was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I was able to continue to provide for my family. Yep. I've got friends who do the same thing I do across the border in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. They were commanded to mm-hmm. not open their door. Yeah. What did we do? I mean, at, at some point... How do we let this not happen again? I guess is a question. I think we just learn. Like we learn from, from, from what happened. And I mean, I think so much of what we do is based on past precedents. Like mm-hmm. this is how we did last time. This is what we learned. This was a situation. There was no, there was nothing in our past to mm-hmm. learn from. So I think now we know like, oh my gosh, what did we learn there? We learned a whole lot. So I think moving forward, and dear God, I hope that doesn't happen again in my lifetime. But I mean, it's going to happen again sometime in the future. But I, I, I think we learned a lot. And I think moving forward, we just have to have to do the best with that. So Senator Dory gets in St. Paul and is seated. Mm-hmm. And the a vote comes up that says we have to lock the place down again because of a virus that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. How do you vote? Uh, that's an impossible thing for me to answer uh, well, right now uh, without but, but, the situation. But, but, right, I have no based idea. On, but based on precedent, I mean, it, would it be an easy decision to say, yep, it's going to be best to just make everyone stay home? Or would it take a lot of convincing? Yeah, that's not an easy decision. Like, that's not an easy decision because it affects so many mm-hmm. people. So I think you really need to look at, like, who does it affect? How do, how are they affected? So, I mean, I can't sit here and say, like, yes, I would vote or no, I wouldn't. When you don't have all that information, that's an impossible question. But I think I we... just seeing if you can handle being grilled by... Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> no. Bring it on, Craig. But, yeah, I, I mean, we've learned so much. Yeah. So I think if that did happen again, I think I think we can do better for people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that we will do better for people. Is it the government's responsibility to ensure the health and safety of the American citizen. Yeah, I mean they should they should be doing a good job, right? Like if Yeah, but it, is it their responsibility or is it my responsibility to make sure that I am 
it's all of our responsibility. It's the government, it's individual people, it's cities and it's, you know, states. I think we all have a, a, a little stake in that game. Who has the most stake? In what sense? Well, I mean, what we saw over the last few years was the government dictated mm-hmm. our health and safety. Yeah. Down to where, uh, depending on your your industry you worked it within, mm-hmm. you were required to take some health care treatment, whether yep. you wanted to or not, in order to keep your job. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, the responsibility is taken away from the person mm-hmm. and taken on by a government. Mm-hmm. And so then who's now responsible so if it's the government's responsibility to ensure my health and safety, where in the world does that end? Yeah, I mean, I think we can look at that really like topically right now with the government saying a woman can't have access to health care, to okay. her own bodily you know, autonomy. Like that's happening right now. And I don't agree with that. Like, I don't think the government should say, like, you can't have an abortion. Like, that's, that's not okay to me. Are there limits that would, that, that you would be okay with i think that is a hundred percent between a woman and her doctor and her family like that's not a decision i think the government should have any business being a part of until when until when what is there an instance when uh, uh, an abortion would not be right well i think there's this like like sense from people like oh a woman is you know 35 weeks pregnant and she just decided she didn't want to have a baby anymore like that's not the case like it happens though does that happen craig it happens as much or more than the rape and incest birth but it's, it's not up to us we aren't the people in those situations so i don't think we can say what they're going through but where does it end because if if it's available potentially past viability isn't it wouldn't it require us if we're honest to say that that has to then extend past birth that an abortion can extend past birth yeah oh absolutely not how come like that somebody's going to kill their born baby like that's not a if situation. it's a burden if it's a burden on their their life if the baby has a terrible life why not yeah that i'd like i think that is a, a ridiculous well, so do I, but, <laughs> but, but I, I guess I, I just, I'm curious to know how we can differentiate the two. I think that a doctor can differentiate the, the, and a woman can, like if a woman has a, is pregnant with a baby and they find out at 30 weeks that that baby isn't going to live, like now I'm going to dictate as your representative that you need to carry that baby for, for two and a half months. Like that's not my decision to make. And that's not your decision to make either. What what removes the value of that life? All of those lives are valuable. And I think what's not understood is most of those t- instances, like that's a baby that is very wanted. That's a baby that is very cared about. That's a baby that families have been praying for. And then this very catastrophic thing has happened to them. And now you're like the government is getting their, in their business to like make that situation even worse. That is not something that we can say. And it's not black and white. Like this, you know, here's the guidelines. Like these aren't black and white situations. So nope, we, that is not for the government to make. So how then can a government tell me not to end the life of my five-year-old that has a catastrophic event to where their life is not going to be, it's not going to last very long? 
how how can the government then tell me don't do that i think that this is an argument that is commonly made and i think it's just like really outlandish like i think that uh, no, is no out- it's not because it, is, because though, it comes back to to the value of a human life yeah and the value is of the human life is like very there but like that mother also has a value like that mother has a very important value to mm-hmm. make the decisions that are best for her not you not me not the government I, but I, I, to me, the the we have to be able to agree on terms, though. Like, w- then let's w- agree on terms. That... But right now, to just say like, nope, like the, abortion care is health care. A woman who has an, a miscarriage and needs a DNC, that's abort. That's a that's an abortion technically. But so it's now it's not because the baby's already dead. But in healthcare terms, that's an abortion. So now we're like limiting. But, but that, the that's a definition that need. needs to be reevaluated. Then this all needs to be reevaluated, Craig. Like this needs to be talked about and looked at. But to now say like absolutely nope, there's nothing. Like that's not okay. To me, it goes back to the value of human life, because I I, I don't think we can be honest and say until that baby breathes air, it does not have the same value that the baby after breathing air does. Now, in California, they just passed a bill that up to 28 days after birth, that baby can die and they cannot be investigated. That, I, I don't understand anyone that could hold that view. Yeah. Craig, I think you and I see very differently on this and I don't think I value life any less than you. Like, I don't value life less than you. But I think as a, a woman, like, that is just not a decision that the government can be involved in then how can the government be involved in valuing life after birth? Because, because we do, as a society, we do. Absolutely, It is we a do. crime to end someone's life Absolutely. against their will. Well, even, even if they want to commit, commit suicide, mm-hmm. that's still criminal. I don't think we're going to find common ground in this one, maybe, Craig. But you, you will have, if you get elected, you will have a voice. And I think it's important that the people that will vote for you mm-hmm. know where you stand on life. Where does life, when does that life become valuable enough to protect by our, by our society? Yeah. I think the life right at the beginning is very, very valuable as like, I've had more than one miscarriage. Those were my babies. Like I lost my babies. Mm-hmm. So don't tell me I don't value life. Like, those were babies we, we wished for and babies that we prayed for, and then they were taken away. Like, I value those lives. But I also value a mom that's in a really horrible situation that needs to do what she needs to do, and that's none of my business, and that's none of your business. Either. If the baby is a week old and the mom is in a horrible situation and needs to do what she needs to do, how can we then say she's wrong if she ends that baby's life? How? How? You can't be honest and hold that view. Yeah, I, 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 I just, I that is like a, just an outlandish situation that you keep bringing up. So it happens. People have babies and then have a horrible life afterward. That happens. Should we allow them to abort that baby? And, and, and I don't want that at all. That no, absolutely not, Craig. So why? No. So why do we? Why can we? Why is it acceptable then to you to allow? that baby to be aborted two weeks before that. Like, 
that situation of a baby being aborted two weeks before they're being born is just something that is so rare. Like, let's talk about abortion as it's commonly happens. And let's talk about the abortion rates that has the abortion rates that have like dramatically dropped through the years. Like uh, abortion rates have like, it's been a dramatic decrease in abortion. So like, let's talk about that and not these like, you know, horror stories that you're bringing up. Like, let's talk about it as the health care that it is sometimes for women. Should abortions be allowed for uh, choosing gender? No. No, no. I mean, these are just things that are so rare, Craig. Like, but it's no, not black no, and white. No, that one's not rare. That happens all the time. Okay. I, I encourage you to, to look that up. I'll look that up. Because that that is something oh, I wanted a girl or this baby has has the the genetic markers for downs that stuff happens a lot how is that how is that acceptable to be able to choose the baby you get how is it acceptable to not give a woman access to health care how is that acceptable to you i i just i don't know how you can conflate the words like to say health care is killing a baby doesn't make sense to me so Clearly, we don't we we don't speak the same language. We don't speak the same when language it comes on to this that. one. No. And I have four kids, and we've lost a baby. Yeah. So I absolutely, I'm, I'm invested in this. Yeah, I am too. And I, it, it's it's fascinating that we can have such opposite views on such a precious thing. It is. It's weird. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Um, Maybe something we just won't find our common ground on, Craig. Clearly not. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's keep going down the road. Let's do it. Um, I've seen you post a couple things about guns. Mm -hmm. Where are you at on that? What's your stance on gun ownership in Um, America? We own guns. We have guns. My Mm -hmm. kids are uh, avid hunters. So, I mean, I think guns are a part of our culture they're a part of our communities but i do think we need some sort of uh we need to look at it like gun violence is the number one killer of our children like that's not okay like let's look at it and try to figure out how we can make that better i'll throw this in as kind of i'm sorry don't take this route abortion's the number one killer of babies but guns may fine yeah um, gun, guns are killing so like, but what what does that mean like what what do you do about it and what is like what what's your position on that so if if that's a a stat that you want to run on mm-hmm. what's the answer like let's look at like i think there's just some like really easy things we can do like um just pushing like safe gun storage okay like let's make sure everybody's doing that let's do a background check like I, I don't think is, is that not that, happening now? Um, not always. No background checks, like how guns are being sold. Like there's some really easy things I think we can look at on how we can make guns safer. So I'm not against having guns. Like have your guns. I don't want to take your guns away from you. But like if guns are killing this many kids, let's just we need to do, talk about it. We need to do something about it. Do I have the answers of what that is? I don't. But I I do think it's a conversation we need to have. Are the guns the problem? I think when we look at the people that are committing these really heinous crimes, it really comes back to mental health. Like mental health access is something that is just not widely available. 
and it's expensive. So I think looking at mental health and what we can do to prevent these things is really important. Um, there's news out currently. I'm trying to find the exact, I don't have the exact date, but um, in the last week I've been listening. Um, they had a story, I think on NPR I listened to, uh, and then searching around the web. Uh, SSRIs are apparently had side effects that no one wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. which one of the things I've heard is it turns off your ability to say no to the impulse. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact number, but it was in the 200 million number of prescriptions for SSRIs in America. Mm-hmm. There's 300, a little over 300 million people in America. The majority of our population is on these things. Mm-hmm. Should that not be a light bulb for us to go, what in the world could the consequence be? If we're seeing a huge uptick in Ritalin in um, these these mood altering drugs mm-hmm. to keep mostly to keep kids under control in the education system um, and at home. The side effects of that could very likely be that ability to say no to the thing. Mm-hmm. So is it possible that the gun is not the problem? It's the drugs we have this population on that cause them to then wander down the road that certainly could be i'm not a a doctor so i'm not gonna you know i don't i don't know about that or the side effects um specifically to talk about those drugs but i I mean i think we need to look at it really on a broad scale like let's look at all the things that could be contributing to this right like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that could be contributing so yeah i think it's all worth worth looking into because i don't think we can continue down this path where people like aren't feeling safe in their own communities. Are there, are there more additional, I guess, uh, gun laws that would have, would stop what we're seeing and being reported on in the shooting world? I don't know the answer to that, but I certainly want to investigate it and I want to be a part of that conversation. Can the government enact more laws? on gun ownership is it constitutional i do think it's constitutional how i think when the constitution was made like the the kind of guns we have now were not the kind of guns that that they had when the constitution was written so i think as things evolve we need to evolve our thinking about them does that apply to the first amendment as well maybe the the example would be Mm -hmm. when it was written Everything was written with a quill pen. Yeah. Communication was sent via mm-hmm. horse or word of mouth. Well, nobody's dying by the, you know, a quill pen right now. No, but they're dying by Twitter. Yeah, they're Twitter dying is by, terrible. They're by, dying by the internet. Yeah. So should we then ban that? Should we curb the ability to have a blog? Should we stop the digital transmission of of type because that wasn't available when they it wasn't when they wrote the constitution and i do think they're looking at more you know regulations on what can be on facebook and what can be on twitter and um, do i know the ins and outs of all of that i do not do you uh, could it i mean is it 
fair to you that those could be flipped around? Like it to say that, well, the guns that are manufactured today were not the guns back then. Mm-hmm. So because of that, anything that was that that's newly manufactured since then has to be banned. Well, or, now or, you're putting or, words or, in my mouth. Or, no, I never well, said that. Oh no, I understand. But you said the guns we had back then. We don't have those today. I know. So I and, just and a so, different way of thinking. Like well, I think we need to th- to think about it differently. Right, but there's still this tricky little thing called about infringing. Mm-hmm. Like I can't infringe your freedom of speech. Yeah. Absent a couple very specific mm-hmm. instances. Yep. Um. And that freedom of speech is the ability to say things people don't like. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not. I mean, if we all, if we only say things we're happy about, there's no there's no potential for for that, you know, being infringed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is the government cannot tell me what I can say. Mm-hmm. Now, unless it, of course, incites, it hurts someone else physically. If I call someone down, hey, come kill this person. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, so how can they infringe on gun ownership? Well, I am not here to infringe on anybody's gun rights. Like, I just think we need to have a broader conversation about what can we do. Would that include restriction? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, Craig. Like, I'm not an elected official at this point. I've I not know, been but you want. Of that. I know, but you want people to vote for you. I do, you but I'm not going to just, you know, say what people want to hear just to get elected. Like, I'm telling you, like, this is me. This is what I think about it, and like, I need to learn more. I need to be a part of these conversations, and like, really. I think we need to just drill down and look at it. That's what I'm saying. Like as as a community, as a state, like let's drill down and look at what what can we do. Mm-hmm. Do I know what those answers are at this point? I don't know what they are, but like I think it's worth talking about. Do we need front license plates on our cars? I don't know. What, what, which, where does that which, question come from? It, it it's something that I ask everyone. Oh, it intrigues the crap out of me because I don't <laughs> think it's in, in South Dakota. It's required by law. Which I think is ludicrous. Oh. Why? Why do you think that's ludicrous? Uh, well, there's no. It, it's I have to have two things now. Mm-hmm. Some cars, not mine, but some cars aren't designed for that. So you have to then drill holes in your front to kind of ruin your car to do that. Um, other states don't require it. So for the so it's not like it's a, across the board in the U.S. Yeah. Everyone does it. So I. Well, I um, guess why can't we? I think Minnesota has both. Um, yeah, I have both. I've. <laughs> I've honestly never thought about the position of my license plates, Craig. This is the first time that this has even come into my brain. So um, I'm fine having two license plates. If Would you, you don't be fine wanna. with just one? I mean, what is the purpose of just one? I don't know. I've never thought about it. I have no idea. Do we need license plates at all? Probably. We probably need some license plates. Would you... <laughs> You are like catching me in a like, I've never thought about license plates, Craig. Now so you will. I don't know, now the next time you drive down the road, you're looking at I'm looking and I'm going to be thinking about it. it and I'm going to be like <laughs> researching the, the ins and outs of license plates. I, but. I, I'm pretty sure the only reason we require them is so when you're on road trips, you can have your kids find different states as you drive down the road. That is good. Like <laughs> I appreciate cool. this right. game. <laughs> I really appreciate right. it. I yeah. appreciate it, you know, when you're parked wrong and they can, like, say it over the announcements, like the, you know, gray car with his license plate needs to move. <laughs> like, that's been helpful probably or in some situations. Towed, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. What, you, your one-minute pitch. Why should people vote for you? 
Um, I think people should vote for me because I think we need some new representation in rural Minnesota. I think right now it is um, not representative of its population. I think we need more women to be able to be in these positions. I think a lot of our policy affects uh, women and families, and I think um, having a woman's voice in that is really important. So I am anxious to be able to represent rural Minnesota and learn. Like, I'm anxious to learn. There's so many things to learn about people's views and our communities. And I think that I am a person that can um, use a lot of common sense and find a lot of common ground with people to really work together to get something done. Like no more divisive politics, but like let's do what we can together to like actually get something done for the betterment of our community. Who is the best decider of our, as citizens of our Who's the best decision maker for the use of our funds and our resources? Me or the government? Well, I think that's why we vote, right? Like we vote to rep- we get people to represent us well, like to represent us with what our values are. So I think as voters, like we need to make sure we're participating in that process. We need to make sure people are getting out to vote. Like that's really important. Like that's your voice. Like mm-hmm. your vote really is your voice to who you're electing to who's going to represent you to make these decisions. So I think the importance of voting is just, um, it's just so important to get, if you, you know, to get involved in the process. And I think we need more people running for office. Like it's hard to find people to run for office in rural Minnesota. Ooh, like, why is a, that? Cause it's same here. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? I think it's because people look at politics and they go, Oh, like, Oh, why would you want to be involved in that? I don't, I can't even count how many people have said that to me. Like, oh, like why put yourself in this situation? So I think if we can create a world of politics that isn't so divisive, like wouldn't more people want to be involved in that? I think they would. It's also a huge ask. Like if I run in rural Minnesota and I win, I am now committing, you know, three to five months of my time away from my kids away from my family away from my community to be in St. Paul doing this work like that's a heavy lift it's a really heavy lift mm-hmm. and like how can we even make that easier now with um you know more opportunities to do things virtually could we look at that to make it easier for people who don't live in the cities to like be able to participate in more things virtually so you don't have to be away okay that that's an interesting idea because I think it it allows for more people to maybe get in the game. Mm-hmm. However, I mean you've had experience over the last couple of years in the school system of having to go from a in person communication mm-hmm. to through a screen communication. Okay. How how hard do you think it would be to actually read body language and, and to actually have conversation yeah. and and really be real with people if everything happens to be at least for you guys so you'd be the out the outliers oh they're just going to zoom in mm-hmm. well all the people in the city would they would have their little group and they'd get all the crap done because they work together right? yeah and i'm not talking about like a total virtual thing mm-hmm. i'm just talking about like you know my kid has a really big basketball game this week so i'm going to like zoom in to this meeting right. so i can yeah. be there today the, i'm the not option, talking the option to, to not the option. miss but to not be able miss. to be virtual. Yeah. Those okay. really, really yeah. big things. But no, I do think it's vastly different when you're working with people in a room together over yeah. Zoom. And I think if you want to get work done, like you're mm-hmm. you're gonna need to be there the bulk of the time. Yeah. But wouldn't it be nice 
and maybe this is already working for people, but just to have the option to like not miss mm-hmm. some really big things. Yeah. So I, I do think we need to really look at how are we going to get people to run for office and like how to get people to realize the value of doing that. And like part of what I'm doing, like my hope is to really open the doors for more women to be included in this conversation and to like see themselves in these positions. Like if you look at research, it takes a lot more times of asking a woman to run for office than it does for a man. And like, what is that difference? Like, I I just want to really be able to encourage women like you have the capacity to do this. I think a lot of people think you need to know everything about all the things like that's impossible. (laughs) That is impossible. So to be able to realize like I do have the capacity to do this and and learn as I'm doing it and like go in with my values Mm -hmm. to really represent people well. And like I don't need to be an expert on every policy and every license plate issue that might come up because I can learn about it. Now you will be an expert. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm going to to be. I'm going to be. I'm really going to look into this. Um, when you're not working, what do you guys do for fun? What's, what's your hobby, I guess? Um, I love to read, so I've n- uh, not been a very good reader since You've, Have you since been busy this. lately? It's been a little busy, um, but I do love to read. Um, my family, like, we love to watch movies. Like, um, that's something that we've always done together. Um, we our, our immediate family lives in Ortonville as well, so, like, okay. we just, like, spend a lot of mm-hmm. time with family. So, I mean, the kids are with their cousins a lot. So it's really um, mm-hmm. fun to be able to spend a lot of time with them. So Friday night, pizza night. That's Is that pretty consistent? Yeah, with my sister and her family. Like Friday nights, we get together. That is so cool. And, and we, or we order in. We order something because mm-hmm. we're not cooking. And like that's been something we've done for a very long time. So, that is so cool. Um, the memories you build out of that. Especially yeah. for the kids. That's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah, Those I know traditions. I always... I always kind of envy some of the families that I've met around here where Sunday afternoon, it's dinner at grandma and grandpa's house mm-hmm. and it's been going on for 40 years. Yeah. You know, whoever can make it, make it. Yep. But I just think that's so cool. Really cool traditions yeah. and like what a strong sense of family it builds for our kids. And yeah. Just isn't, to that's know, a, like they have such a support yeah. system right there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, Where's the best place for people to find out more about Carrie Dory? I mean, go to my website, which is... um, Is it active yet? Yeah, carryformnsenate.com. You can go... And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Is it for the word? Um, Yep. Or... Yep, carry for mnsenate. Um, So, yeah, I'm learning Instagram. It's it's like a learning curve (laughs) for me. I'm like maybe just like a little too old to like have... You know, I didn't grow up with Instagram, but I'm I'm learning and have a lot of um, younger people helping me. Right. So... I try to be active on social media, but I feel like that comes and goes a little bit too, just because like, oh my gosh, life is so busy. So many things to do, mm-hmm. but and yes. You need to get admin to run it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, too, when you are building these um, campaign teams in small towns, mm-hmm. like it's different than what oh, it yeah. looks like for a team in the Metro where right. they have like all these people with like a ton of experience <laughs> and they're all just yeah. like diving in and running. Like mm-hmm. we are all learning together and we are all right. like in this process together and it's been so great. And like, I'm really thankful for this experience. I've learned so much and the people I've met have been so great. Um, and I don't know what will happen in November, but like, that's not my end game. Like I, I will continue to, to mm-hmm. do this work of just like building community and, and you know networking with other people to make our communities better so and if nothing else 
you bring at least awareness to the the position. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact. I hope so. Because where's the incumbent from? What town? Um. So he was. Um. We live in Elbow Lake, and he when we redistricted, he uh, was redistricted out, and then now he's moving back in to run. So he does oh. not um, live in the district. Okay. Well, now he has an address in the mm-hmm. district. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, are you, will you be the first? I mean, in the event you win t- from the Ortonville area. Um, I think there has been legislators from the from this district, like I think in Appleton. So I think close. I think I would be the first woman from our mm-hmm. area in rural Minnesota to be elected. Well, that believe. alone is. I think that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. I think that's awesome. pretty great. Yeah. Facebook carry for Emmons Senate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate you coming in. This has yeah. been fun. I appreciate it too, Craig. Thanks, Carrie, for hanging out with us. Carrie for MNSenate.com or on Facebook, Facebook.com. Search for Carrie for MN Senate and you'll find more information there as well. We love it when candidates and politicians come on the show and sit down for a long form conversation like this. It's so much better to gain insight into how they think and how they process so that we can make better informed decisions in the voting booth. So thanks a lot, Carrie. Good luck on your election. Theinterviewpodcast.org is our website. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, if you want to help support the show, you can send us a donation or share it out to your friends. Have a wonderful day.